Thank you for being here. Welcome to the Kesed family. Uh, this is, I'm, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors. I have the privilege of sharing with you guys today. And uh, I want to start off uh, before I pray and we kind of get into some time of reflection and spending time about, uh, around and about what Good Friday means for us. I just, I just want to tell you, I just thoroughly enjoyed uh, listening to both you guys and, uh, and the team worship uh, just a moment ago. As a matter of fact, for me, I don't know if I was fully into like the Easter weekend uh, celebration and processing until, until that. And I was actually in the back thinking, man, I, I want to feel this. I don't just want to walk through this and have it be another thing. And to watch Dave struggle, right, and to kind of watch him cry out and the team sort of have to together just come before God and say, listen, none of this matters. What matters is him and bringing glory to him. And then to, to see you guys step in and, and I was back there worshiping with you. Uh, what, a, what a neat thing to be a part of. And so I'm, I'm super excited. Dave came up right away like, you know, we've got like four more services. I'm like, man, they're going to be so good. By the end, you're just going to be just, 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 you know, raspy. And it'll be like Kenny Rogers leading worship around here. It's going to be unbelievable. So I'm excited about it. Uh, so make sure and come be a part. Uh, you can come to multiple services. We already have a few people doing that that just want to just come and just be in the community. And we're just really excited to have you. Um, there's just so much that, that I could talk about today. Uh, there's so much that I think God is going to do for you and for me today. I come expectant. I just want you to know that. I'm standing on this stage right now. I rarely get to speak one single service. We had a lot of jokes earlier. You can ask the team. They were like, well, don't worry. If it's bad, we'll get it right next service. There's no next service. <laughs> this is the only one. And, and I, I actually, I love that because I expect that God's going to do what he's going to do with you and with me, and uh, he's going to be glorified. Amen? Amen. 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 So let me pray for us. Let's just uh, kind of turn a corner, uh, recognize that, that we are here today to reflect upon the death of our Lord and Savior. We are here today to put ourselves back in that place to realize uh, that although three days from now he will rise again and we will celebrate that, that there was a time upon the face of this planet when everybody but him thought he was dead, thought he was gone, thought that, that the world was, was, was the only hope of the world was lost. And I think it's so important that we allow ourselves to rest in that place, to feel again what it's like to have such a need, because only in feeling that need can we then celebrate, of course, the one who met every need in the room. And so I just want to take a second, and I'm just going to I'm just going to spend some time just reflecting. Lord, I'm asking that uh, in this room right now, there would just be an incredible sense of your presence. As we, in our minds, just meditate on this reality that you came to earth, that you lived here, that you, that you walked and you taught, that you, that you ate, that you that you, that you uh, feasted with us, that you performed miracles, that you prayed that, Lord, you hurt, that you ached, that you were filled with sorrow, that you agonized over not just people who were walking across that planet then, but over me, over my life, over the value that you see it as, and over the cost you were willing to pay for it. Lord, I ask that every person in this room, wherever they're at on their spiritual journey, would not be distracted, God, by anything they brought in with them. They would not be sidetracked by, by other concerns. That, Lord, they would take this time, this, this time that we celebrate all across this earth, 
to realize and recognize the incredible sacrifice that was made for us. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for their stories and thank you that each and every one of them are precious to you. You know what they're walking through. You know what they brought in with them. Lord, this isn't just another church service. It's a group full of people who are the living bride of Christ coming before you, bringing glory to you for the way in which you've loved us. I thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read for you from Mark chapter 15, and I'm going to start in verse 16. This is what it says regarding the crucifixion of Christ. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. The third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. We read this story, and uh, I've preached it a few different times now here at Kesed. And oftentimes, we focus upon the different aspects of the suffering. We, we focus upon um, the one who came and was the lamb for us. And, and I think for the most part, even people who don't believe in, in Jesus, the resurrected Christ, understand the idea of crucifixion. They understand the idea of, of, of what it means to be tortured. They understand the idea of what it means to suffer. And of course, we all understand this great looming concept of death. We also know, and most Christians, I think, try and focus upon this, that in three days, Jesus is going to rise. That this part of the story is really only a small portion, and that it's only really 72 hours of deep and dark suffering that, that the disciples have to go through once they think he's dead. And so oftentimes, we come to these services already prepared in our minds for the empty tomb. This particular weekend, 
uh, I decided that I wanted to paint a picture a little deeper and maybe even with a little more color uh, than most regarding how that might have felt to have your whole world ripped out from beneath you. Now, I don't want to undermine or underestimate the power that Jesus went through as he suffered being fully human and fully God on his way to the cross. But what I want to do is talk about the idea that now Jesus has died. And you, as his disciple, have staked everything in your life upon him. As a matter of fact, if you were really to to step back and evaluate the last three years of your life, everything you had put your hope in was hanging dead on a cross. Everything you staked your life in, your, 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 your reputation, your, your, uh, your business, your family, your safety, your beliefs, everything you thought you were is hanging on a cross. These people, as they took Jesus down from that cross, were the definition, the quintessential definition of hopeless. I mean, I've met and spent time with some hopeless people, and I have been in some very hopeless, deep and dark situations, but I don't know if I've been that hopeless. I've suffered physically, emotionally, spiritually. I think a lot of us have, but I don't know if the whole world was watching me suffer, if the whole world, my whole known world, was, was watching everything Danny said he believed in being ripped away publicly. I don't know if, if I've experienced this level of agony, this level of loneliness, this level of hopelessness. These people, well, look at this spilled table. These people had a meal with Jesus thinking he was coming. We talked about this last week at the beginning of Passover week to, to reign, to bring, to bring new rule, to bring new, new freedom, to bring new purpose. They had a meal with the Messiah. They broke bread with him. They, they, they had wine with him. He washed their feet. He spent time with them. And they thought, this is it. It's our time. And within just a few days, within the context of a week, Everything they thought they had was spilled over. And not just inside, for everyone to see, nailed to a wooden cross high above the skyline. Can you imagine going home that night to your family, to your fellow brothers and sister believers? Can you, can you put yourself, can you be there just for a second? Re- remember, they didn't believe or understand fully the crucifixion at this time. They weren't like you and me. They didn't have the full end of the story. They really thought this was a new chapter and a new beginning of their life. And this is what it was going to look like. How would they recover from that? How would you recover from that? You went from watching a man perform miracles and serve sustenance and bring healing to people to being scourged to the bone to having blood pouring out his back to to heaving upon a cross while people pointed at you and said aren't you with him for Peter's sake of course he said no for the others most of them weren't even around could you imagine being his mother can you fathom that as moms in the audience right now or dads in the audience that's your child that this world is spitting at, that this world is mocking and beating, they put a sign over his body that said, King of the Jews. Can you go back and be in that place? I don't like to be in that place. 
I want to get to Easter. I really do. But the reality is the reason that Jesus Christ came on that cross in the first place is because we're already all in that place. Without him, I am hopeless. Without him, you are hopeless. This is what your life really looks like. It looks like a turned over dinner table. This is the best you can hope for in community, in leadership, in guidance. Without God as my Savior leading and guiding and, and, and giving me purpose behind what I am, my life is a mess. This is exactly where these people found themselves. Dealing with this uncomfortable truth. They had dealt with and now faced this terrible human question of what if. What if everything that I hope for doesn't happen? What if everything that I, that I, that I am afraid of does? As we know, no one is free from tragedy or pain. No one is guaranteed a life of ease, and I think we know this. But what if, and I'll put this up on the screen, what if my inmost longings are never met and my nightmares come true? That's the question these people are having answered for them. That's the way in which your mind needs to go to this place. Some of you, you got it. Because this is your reality. Some of the things in your life that you have been so afraid of have come true. But some of you, this is what keeps you awake at night. You start to think, what if I get sick? What if I lose my job? What if my child dies? What if my spouse leaves me? What if any number of my deepest fears are realized in full color reality? That's where these people are. With everything they thought they were spilled upon the floor. People all throughout the Bible have been dealing with this uneasy question of what if for years, for generations, since the beginning. When told to lead the Israelites, Moses asked God, what if they don't believe me? (laughs) That's the question that he asked a bush that burns and isn't consumed. But, but I, I get it, but I would probably have done the same thing. I want you to go back to your greatest enemy. You were going to lead a nation out to freedom. And by the way, he's 80 years old at this time. And he looks at this burning bush, and you, you know what he's thinking. He's like, yeah, a magical burning bush isn't going to be enough. What if? Abraham's servant asked about Isaac's future wife when he was told to go get him. And he asked the very common question that anyone would ask, what if the young woman refuses to come with me? People just don't roll into towns and say like, "Mm, you, I got a husband for you. That doesn't happen a lot. He says, what if? Joseph's brothers asked when they realized that he was the one that was through God as an instrument saving the land from famine. When they found out, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us? Fair question. All of them wondered what would happen if circumstances went awry, just like you and I do. Throughout the Old Testament, God has prepared his children for these difficult times with countless stories of people asking and then having answered these kinds of what-if questions, the kinds of what-if questions that the disciples were dealing with for three days. I like to not think they ate much, but if they did eat much, I like to think that it was just sort of staring at each other like, can you believe this? 
Is this the same bread we broke for communion yesterday? Is this the same wine that we drank yesterday? Are they coming at any moment to look for us? What are we going to do with his body? What are we going to do with all the believers that are in town? What am I going to say to my family? What am I going to say when I'm confronted about this for the rest of my life? If they had been in a place a little more settled, they may have went back to scriptures, to stories like the one uh, of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is not someone we preach very much because his name is hard to say. (laughs) Everyone's like, I'm not going to preach that. But... uh, Habakkuk or Habakkuk, however you prefer it. Habakkuk is how I like to say it. Lived in times like we do and like they did when times of faith were hard. He saw the righteous suffering and the wicked prospering. He asked God two questions. Why and how long? Why and how long? Why is this happening and how long do I have to suffer within it? And yet, no matter how much he pleaded, God's hand would not move. His face would not be seen. There was nothing he could do. For this season that Habakkuk lived in was a season in which evil would triumph over good, or so it seemed. He couldn't explain it. So he stopped trying to. He looked at his life and his spilled story. That's not in my notes, but a lot of us, we have spilled stories, don't we? Yeah. I have a super spilled story. Tonight's not about me. Although it is about my spilled story and yours. Habakkuk had a spilled story. He realized that though he did not understand God's ways or God's timing, he could not doubt God's wisdom, love, or reliability. So although, listen to this, never ceasing with God to save his people, he never stopped asking why and how long, and God, what will you do and when will you do it? He instead closes his small book with this exquisite prayer regarding his own what-if questions. And he answers it with an even if. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19 says, think about the place he's in as he pens these words. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Habakkuk affirmed that even if everything he relied on failed, if everything that gave stability to his life crumbled, still he'd trust the Lord. In this way, the Lord reminds his people that he has something far better than a reassurance that our dreaded what-ifs will never happen. God says instead that we have the assurance, and I'm going to put this on the screen, that even if the worst happens, he will be there in the midst of it all. Even if the worst happens of it happens. Replacing what if with even if is one of the most liberating exchanges we can ever make as Christians. Recognizing that God doesn't deal in the what ifs, he deals in the even ifs. That what he says to the disciples and what he teaches through scripture time and time again is that God is not concerned with the what ifs, he's concerned with the even ifs. And he says, I will go above and beyond your expectations that even if 
all the things that you think may happen, happen. Even if the Messiah you devoted your life to is beaten and hung on a cross, I will still be with you. Even if you get sick, even if you lose everything, I will still be with you. Think of that, 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 that uh, verse about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are people who are prisoners in a foreign land. And the king of their land decides he's going to erect a huge idol. And then he says, everyone has to bow down when the horn blows. And it says across the entire nation, everyone bows down except for these three guys. <laughs> like, they didn't even ask to live there, let alone serve your God. But they, even though they're prisoners, even though the biggest thing that's, that their life being threatened is about to happen to them, they say to him, I want to read it to you, that they will not bow down. Listen to this phrase. This is the king talking, verse 15, Daniel chapter 3. He says to them, now if you are ready... This is what he says to them. Think about these three men standing before him. When you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you will fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship the image, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, they have no reason or belief that God's going to save them from the furnace. And so they say what they believe they should say. They stand before this man and before his furnace, and this is their response. Verse 16, this is what the disciples had, had in their grasp. They could have went to this verse. They could have went to the verse in Habakkuk. They could have realized, like we're supposed to realize today, that God is inside the even-ifs, even if the what-ifs occur. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, and I like they start off with an O. For me, it's like they're like, oh, oh, oh mm. he shouldn't have said that about our God, right? Did you hear that last thing he said? Mm. Mm. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to even answer you in this manner. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But then they get real serious, and I like to imagine they take a step forward and their voice drops an octave, and then they make a ton of eye contact with him. You see it, don't you? You're feeling it. And this is what they say. As the heat of the fire glistens off of their eyes. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They say, our God's not going to let us burn up in that. There's no way. But if he does, we're still not going to worship you. That's a profound statement to make. Inches from your death. Like, I believe God can heal me from the sickness. But even if he doesn't, I'm going to worship all the way till I'm in the ground. I believe that God can, can build a church right here in Vancouver that could be profound and amazing and incredible. But guess what? Even if he doesn't, I'm still going to sing his praises. I believe that God who provides the fruit of my life, whether it spills on the ground or is consumed for the nourishment of my soul, I'm still going to give him credit for what it is he made. Whether it is lifted up as a sacrifice for him or it just becomes part of another spilled story that only he sees the glory for. 
That's what these men say. That's what Habakkuk says. That's what these disciples are about to learn. God is not as concerned with your what-ifs as he is with you believing in him, the God of even-ifs. See, this is our table of hopelessness. And this table for you today is supposed to represent just that. It's supposed to represent your even-if. See, I don't, I don't know what your even-if is. That's why I wanted to draw a picture for you that you can't get away from. I want you to imagine that whatever it is that you are so afraid is going to happen might just happen. I want you to put yourself back in the place those disciples were at when they had to sit and look at each other over that candle sitting upon that spilled table thinking about the story of their lives and how it's not going to end how they thought it was going to end. They're not going to be kings and rulers on this earth with Jesus. They're not going to defeat the Romans. They're not going to live this carefree life that for some reason they thought was owed them. But instead... They have to make a decision like you and I have to make a decision to believe the scriptures, to believe the story, and to choose him even if. The Lord reminds his people that he has that, that it is better. And he reassures them of that. Even if the worst happens, he will be there in the midst of it all. No matter what. We get to be a people who trade in our irrational fears of an uncertain future for the loving assurance of an unchanging God. A God who wants to bring you good gifts, gifts that last, gifts that are eternal. A God who wants to change your perspective. See, I hope that there's some brand new people here today because this is the wrong service for you to visit. And it's, and it's not because, it's not because this is a service only for believers, but this is a service that's like, like actually bloody. Where we admit, as a community, that we struggle with spilled stories, that we struggle with spilled lives. And so suddenly, you're not able to say, I went to church and all they did was talk about how great their lives are. No, man, no. My life's not all great. I got a bunch of this stuff right now. I got a bunch of this stuff right now. That I'm like, God, don't let that happen. Don't you let that happen. But even if it happens, I'm still with you. All the way. I believe that you are a God who brings good gifts. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. It is this kind of faith that we as Christians are called to have. I'll put it on the screen. This kind of faith believes that even when we cannot trace the hand of God, we must trust the heart of God. Even when we can't see it, We got to believe it. This is why we're called to be people of faith. Because there's a lot of times when God doesn't spell it out for us. The table gets spilled. And it makes no sense. We're like, God, do do you see all this? You know how hard I worked for this life? We don't understand that this life, this life is not promised to us. He is the only one that promises And never breaks them. He is the only one that brings hope and truth. He is the only one in my whole life that is 100% consistent. My wife's pretty close, but she's not 100%. My friends are pretty close, but they're not 100%. There is no guarantee that my wife and I are going to do that whole notebook death where we're like 92 years old holding hands. That's our plan, by the way. 
well, that's her plan anyways. I'm like, I want to live to be just a little bit older. And she's like, no, when I die, you die. I'm like, <laughs> apparently that's, <ugh>. yeah. <laughs> 45 years old, she's like, I'm dying. So are you. And I'll be like, what? That, even if, Lord, even if. I just, that's not what I signed up for, but apparently it's, uh, there's just no guarantees, right? We know so many people with so many stories that thought they were heading one way and suddenly their life gets turned sideways and they're in a completely different place. What if you just lived your life like that? What if you read in scripture, in the book of Daniel about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Habakkuk, what if you read about the disciples and their fear and how God came and said, you doubt, but I told you. You don't think he's still thinking that with you and me now? You doubt, but I told you. And guess what? Like we had to work hard to get inside the story. You already know the end. What is your excuse? What is my excuse when the what ifs happen? I want to be a person who lives within the even ifs. A person who believes and has that kind of faith. I want to trust that although God may not get me out of trouble, he can get me through. Good Friday is a clear example of this. C.S. Lewis said, Good Friday is quite simply the clearest picture of who God is for you. Love himself. A love proclaiming that even when the storm is raging at its greatest, even if the darkest night of suffering and death come upon you, I, the Son of Man, am there with you. This is where God calls you to be here today. We know what's coming, but be here today. We want to live Easter lives, but maybe we're supposed to live Good Friday lives. Proclaiming the resurrection is coming, but guess what, friends? I still ache in the morning. I still worry about money. I still think about future. I still stress that my children, something's going to happen. I, I, I still live with some of these stresses that if I had an even if mindset, I think I would be more peaceful. I think I would recognize, wait a minute, here's what I get to know today, that even if all these things happen, I serve a God who loves me and never leaves me and walks with me through it. That's what Good Friday is supposed to be. That's what's supposed to change your story, spilled or not. For troubles will come. And pain will overwhelm you. And fear, maybe not today, but eventually will rear its presence in your life. But if you can't realize, like Corey Timboom said, that there is no pit deep that God is not, God's love is still not deeper. If we cannot realize that, then one day you will find yourself like so many else in this world where what ifs become their reality and there is nothing they can do about it but cry out. My hope is that you cry out when that happens to God, but my hope is before that happens that you can cry out to him now in your life, proclaiming the death of Jesus sufficient for you and your spilled story because it is his spilled blood and his broken body that made all the difference. This is me, and this is you. And I don't know where it ties into your story. I'm not even going to pretend what I do know is that God's love is here for you, it's present for you, and it's enough for you. What I ask today is that you take a moment and you receive this love.
there exists a love far greater than we will ever understand. A love prophesied for ages. Say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing bad. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now. Just can't. It's easy to sink when there's nothing to bring me down. But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able, and I know you can save through the fire with your. Say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, 
somewhat made Cause I know you're able It is a way